0: This is the Roaring Elfin Podcast for the 2nd of July 2019, and I'm joined as usual by my, uh, I hope, vacation co-host, Dave. It's July. Um, Soon. 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 Soon Soon-ish. Soon-ish. Great expectation.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. But not Hawaii, so Um, continuing that dead joke. Anyway, um, part two of our session with the ever-so-wise, ever-so-smart uh, Alex talking to us about ML Ops. Um, this session going deeper, we're going deeper, and going into yeah more information into the specifics of, of how this actually works, how the various different components and tools hang together and and then sort of coming back to the back to back up for air at the end to uh, kind of round it all out and give some final thoughts as to you know how you might uh, how you might start to approach
0: this sort of thing if it all sounds interesting Mm -hmm. and this is also a great exercise with dave and me for staying on topic throughout the whole entire episode Oh, so oh yeah. we,
1: we were second. laser focused during this episode. <laughs> we were absolutely on point the whole time. I think our audience will definitely agree there.
0: Hey, uh, I think we all agree it was a great discussion we had there. So uh, uh <laughs> for listeners, so. if you want to find out what yep. that's all about, uh strap in and uh get ready for about 20 minutes of mm-hmm. ML flow. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to tr- do a little bit of backtrack here because you talked about it's just adding some log lines, some log entries there. Now, you're mm-hmm. not talking about logging a string I am in line 24 of my script. It's a different kind of logging, right?
2: It's just a mlflow.log, mm-hmm. And then you have a different choice of what you're trying to do. So there's either parameters, uh, those are like. Uh, your input, what you're actually trying so maybe your data path or some of your hyperparameters Then that could be the metrics what were the outputs of that model that you're trying to do and another one could be like an artifact so if you generate a plot like a matplotlib you run and you got a png file you want to save, that will get stored next to it as well mm-hmm. it's a lot easier when you show it using a live demo so I guess <laughs>
0: We don't have YouTube yet, that's coming.
2: (laughs) YouTube is coming, so definitely make it a little bit easier.
0: But I'm assuming that these MLflow log lines also make it easy to uh, quote-unquote log my pickled module serialized package, whatever. Uh, Do I have to serialize it first and then give the pickled entity to the log or can I just say mlflow log my model and it'll pickle it all for me how how much of uh, how do you call that nice uh, niceties uh, quality of life thing is already in there
2: so the beautiful thing is it's exactly it just like you said mlflow and for instance let's say like tensorflow you say mlflow model, and you pass in that model object or if it's a scikit-learn it's log model, it will serialize uh, and pickle it for you, and store it behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you if you uh, have this uh, uh, tied to like a repository, it can be also version control as well. So.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So it actually makes that the job help. easier. It, it takes a lot of the nitty-gritty away from the data scientist. We just give you the one log entry. It pickles it, saves it somewhere, and it's there. I don't have to care about it anymore. Before, I, t- I still did all that because, well, I may want to go back to the old model, which I trained yesterday. So you had to do all the old, to housekeeping, but now it's just automated and easy and ready for you.
2: That is correct. So part of that uh, makes it much more easier. And once you, let's say... Um, once you have the model, typically, let's say if, uh, if you're using, let's say, like scikit-learn or anything, you have uh, for a lot of the models, you have the predict method. Mm-hmm. But the uh, predict method, uh, I believe, on TensorFlow is not available, as if, uh, it's not the same API. Mm-hmm. So you do it through, no matter what uh, un- underlying model that you have you've using let's say, like MLflow, you can have uh, a standard method to call everything. So you would call like MLflow, predict, and you've specified the model that you want to use. And it will use. So behind the scenes, you don't need to know what the implementation of the call is. It will abstract it for you. So that's sort of kind of the niceties behind the scenes for it.
0: So does it actually go as far as as use reflection to find out, okay, you give me an object, it's an object of type this, so I'm going to use these kind of classes to do the serialization or whatever you're asking me to do?
2: No, it actually creates like a wrapper. So if it doesn't have it, all it does is it creates like a wrapper and then uh, it's exposed to
0: you. Yeah, but still, it's intelligent enough to be able to detect what you're sending it and uh, be able to know what it has to do with it to give it a good result, to give it a, the right kind of serialization in this case. That's exactly uh, it. yes. Okay, cool. Now, uh, I mean, it's still new, so I'm assuming you haven't seen this in use uh, all around the world just yet. But um, hearing this... Um, would you say that the api let's let's focus on ml flow because i think as far as i understand is the most developed one at the moment i think Uh, please don't hate me for that internet um but is this api the tracking
2: server server is definitely i think that the serving and the uh, how you do the project management that's probably between the two people will argue the kubeflow ml flow that's probably going to be like a religious fight at this point
0: oh it's always fun Now, the one thing that I see with my customers is whenever they build, they bring a tool in, they kind of want to build an API layer on top of it. So they have control to make it work the way they think it should work. And quite often they make things more complicated and slow without really adding any value. But occasionally a tool isn't really on a polished level that's sufficient to give it to. Uh, end-users, by lack of a better word. Now, these tools like an MLflow today, do you think they have enough polish that you should be able to just use the API as it comes out of the box there? Or do you think, yeah, putting an API on top of it and making it more polished for your environment still makes sense?
2: So what MLflow at least tries to do, it tries to be an API first. So the idea is that they try to make everything that you described
0: mm-hmm.
2: to abstract it for the data scientists. So uh, I think their API is quite uh, yep. rich at this point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I don't think you will need anything new, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the nice thing is it is uh, an open source platform, mm-hmm. Apache license. It's not, uh, it's not an Apache project, uh, which is uh, uh, Hopefully, maybe at one point there will be but uh, as of right now it's you can go fork it and uh, use your own so there's enough of uh, customers that are actually using it and enough of, it's a pretty uh, big project that's being adopted by the community a whole lot of different companies that are using it and I think it's uh, becoming a mature offering that you can use so if, uh, last I checked look, I think two weeks ago they had over 94 contributors. Uh, had a whole bunch of companies that are currently working. I think uh, I was reading on O'Reilly or ZDNet. Over 200 companies are now using MLflow mm-hmm. uh, within their enterprises. So, but similar kind of statements can be made by Kubeflow as well. You know, uh, yeah, where yeah. people are. If you take a look at the logos of their recommendation, uh, it's very interesting to see if... Uh, uh, the kubeflow creator the uh, david uh, iron i'm messing up his last name i'm trying to remember but he was actually a uh, creator of kubeflow uh, and he came from google he's now at microsoft so i'm very interested actually if um, hopefully i get a chance to talk to him about it as like how how we can how is let's say like microsoft gonna position it because they're part of that uh, flow but I can easily see like Kubeflow being a big part of it. There's Microsoft Azure Kubernetes Services and uh, I'm guessing it's going to serve up to everything but it's, I think it will come down to the community uh, and how it's going to come out but maybe it's going to be one of those two that both I'm going to use. I mean at one point I remember hearing Mesos and I heard Kubernetes and I think we all know who's the winner there right now. So uh, (laughs)
0: Yeah. Also, I mean, there's a bit of a bonanza going on now with all new things starting. Everybody's trying to make this work, but inevitably it usually gets followed by a consolidation phase where. Smaller things get gobbled up by bigger things, and yeah, a couple of winners will will remain, I guess. And maybe just like with Spark and R, which tool do you use? Well, it kind of depends which environment you're coming from. If you're coming from a statistical environment, you're pretty much going to go with R. If you're coming from a more development environment, you probably much like Python better would i'd expect that people that are coming from the docker container environment will go with kubeflow and people coming from the more deep machine learning darkness <laughs> maybe prefer the ml flow one and they'll meet somewhere in the middle i don't know
2: yeah time time will tell that's all <laughs> i know uh so it's- time will tell my friend
0: so let's see uh, yeah just to, to to spell it out for the audience let's uh, just uh, it does all sound like this is not a big rewrite uh, if you have things in motion now if you have data scientists writing their notebooks writing their python scripts or even writing it in java so our previous guest uh, uh was fun to do uh, it doesn't mean a full rewrite. You should be able to get to take at least the most recent versions of your scripts, add the the, the, the correct log, air quotes log lines on the right places to to hook it up to the to, to the um, artifact repository and build pipelines. Correct.
2: That is correct. I mean, the one thing that I would probably say mm-hmm. that both projects like MLflow, um, Kubeflow. They're, they both try to do the zero code refactoring between let's say the research models that they have and going to production. So the idea is that once you do it, you can make it easier to deploy it, push it out to your containers, so server it up. The only probably the big difference is of uh, how you run MLflow and Kubeflow. So MLflow I think is a lot is a lot light yeah. is very lightweight because all it is is a basic pip install, uh, where Kubeflow and I believe they're making it a whole lot easier to uh, make it and sell like Minikube. So I think there's going to be a Minikube equivalent <laughs> that will allow you to run uh, flow easily on one. Uh, so that's probably the biggest one but uh, and the experiment tracking so Kubeflow is working on experiment tracking as well, the mm-hmm. diary so we'll see when it comes out but a lot of people have that I mean if you look at the Cloudera Data Science Workbench, they have that mm-hmm. uh, the AWS has that Google has that, everybody's sort of in there uh, and like I said, trying to concentrate pretty much on the open source right now yeah, 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 part yeah. of this conversation
0: As far as I know, I mean, you've mentioned uh, that there's commercial things out there, but we've had some articles in our uh, recent or one but recent news episode where somebody was talking about the different projects out there. But apart from open source, there wasn't really much out there that was um, not entirely tied to one single, I'm not going to say use case, but let's say usage pattern. If you want to do anything that has a a little bit of flexibility, I didn't see any purely commercial things out there today i mean obviously you can get support contracts for your kubernetes uh, deployments and stuff like that but it's still an open source project so i don't count that as a purely commercial thing same with uh, databricks and MLflow. but if i'm looking at a, a sas or a, an ibm or i don't know fill in your big name here i don't i haven't noticed them having anything like this or trying that could replace things like MLflow or stuff
2: well, MLflow and at least I'll say from Azure's perspective, the Azure Machine Learning Services, Azure Machine Learning Services has a more mature and richer, and provides everything that MLflow plus extra. So if you notice a lot of the stuff that's actually I've been talking like MLflow, like even the tracking server, it'll flow through to AML. But AML has a much more uh, richer kind of uh, uh, ecosystem for mm-hmm. even uh, serving the experiments and the productionalizing it. Uh, the only thing it is, it's obviously right now primarily geared for the cloud. Now, granted, you can take the model that you built, uh, register it in a container, and then do a Docker pool and run it on your edge, uh, well, on-prem on or on your edge, so you can do it. But uh, definitely the for the Microsoft Azure, for AWS uh, SageMaker, and GCP, they're all sort of going to it. I mean, there's other bigger ones uh, that I'm familiar with, like Selden, Selden.io. Uh, it's uh, another commercial uh, product that is, uh, I think it's a UK-based company. Um, it would be actually interesting to hear from them on your podcast at one point. But they they primarily try to do similar uh, and they provide similar kind of uh, model management deployment uh, at an enterprise. So there's other commercial vendors doing, and like I mentioned, the Cloudera Data Science uh, Workspace, I believe that's what they call it, uh, does similar. So they have a tracking server that they provide, and also go ahead and spin up a, a REST server. And it's fascinating because like I started on this problem about six years ago uh, at the independence Cross, and little did i know if i started on this six years ago I'm, i might have retired by now if i <laughs> made that a product <laughs> because uh, it's, uh, i was trying to do very similar i mean i was primarily concentrating on the tracking server aspect not the not the server uh just say what what were the input parameters? What was the data? What was used? And the, what was the results? You know, that yeah. it's literally I was building out a web app for that.
0: <laughs> if only you knew and had a patent there, right? <laughs>
1: if only I didn't go to Hortonworks. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's interesting though, we talk a little bit about a lot of the innovation seems to be in the open source space in in this particular area. I mean, maybe I'm slightly blinkered in this, very, very possible, but it feels to me that, that that is the new normal. That That is where the new innovation happens. That is where a lot of these things kind of bubble up and, and sort of begin to get adoption. And rather than kind of open source... Going a long, long way back now always used to be something that would sort of pop up as, you know, something that was trying to do something that a proprietary system did, but better and more open and more collaborative and, you know, faster and blah, blah, blah. But it, it feels like that's that's not been the case for a little while now. And, you know, open source is where a lot of the new uh, the new technologies, the new talent and um, that side of things, the new roadmap for technology is, is sort of being seeded from.
2: No, no I completely agree. I think uh, I, I banked my career on open source. I mean, I got started with Apache Foundation uh, 2004, 2005 when I was working mm-hmm. with Apache Lucene. Uh, I was mm-hmm. I worked at Yellow Book as a search engineer for four years. And this is pre-Solar, mm-hmm. pre-Elastic. And this is a, yep. literally 0.0 releases. And, uh, Duck Cutting uh, was the godfather of uh, <laughs> Lucene Nudge and hence became Hadoop. That's how I really got started on my Hadoop journey is trying to optimize an ETL process, building uh, Lucene indexes and at the same time uh, creating an ETL process the time. So going from days to hours, that was a task. Little did I know that a small library like Hadoop MapReduce is going to become this huge platform.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: to me, it was... J- just a jar that I dropped in and that I needed to to do some distributed compute, uh, which seemed pretty reasonable at the time. Um, but yeah, uh, open source I think is uh, definitely going strong, and uh, I think a lot of it that we're seeing is like the from your podcast the uh, kubecon that you're seeing uh, it's uh, for, it's going strong on a lot of different aspects so from devops yeah. from engineering from uh, uh, machine learning uh, pretty much everything that is going to be accepted is usually out on the open source now the licensing do differ mm-hmm. uh, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a big proponent of apache community uh, but uh, not all of the projects, including like uh, for Flow, are not part of it. And I'm a little bit kind of surprised that uh, maybe some projects are staying away from the community. Maybe it's getting a little too political. Uh, I'd be more interested in, the, in your kind of a side. Yeah. It.
1: So I mean, I think where I was probably going to go go next on on this sort of thread was while I do I do strongly believe that. The you know the innovation is now sort of the open source is the forefront of the innovation in a lot of different areas. I do also think that the open source world as a whole is 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 and can be quite fickle, and you know the there is still a large element of, you know, in my opinion, not invented here syndrome, where rather than collaborating. Um, which might be more fruitful in the long term, people kind of pop up new projects that are, you know, Project B, just like Project A, but slightly different. And then Project C pops up that's a little bit like Project A, taking some of the features of Project B and uh, doing things slightly differently to make it Project C, and so on and so forth. Um, So how much... And then eventually... Um, you know one of these hopefully sort of wins out and becomes you know somewhat more dominant or at least you know develops enough mind share and gravity and some would some could say that this is just the natural order of things, and this is all actually absolutely fine but it 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 does seem to me that in some cases we're doing a lot of um unnecessary sort of work in that respect. And you know, that, that can cause people to think, um, sort of really, how stable are these solutions? And I guess this, this leads me to ask you the question, really, is this something that you think is mature enough that people can actually properly start to invest in this now? Is is the sort of the payoff that they get from kind of going all in on this this approach worthwhile? Or do you think there's still another revolution or two to come and and sort of people should keep a close eye on it keep, keep a watch on it but maybe not and you know maybe dip the toes in the water but maybe it's not worth going all in yet what what's your sort of view in that direction
2: so definitely i'm going to say as far as methodology it's here to mm-hmm. stay uh, all of the mature companies uh, the the big the Facebooks, the Netflix, the Microsoft, googles They've all been doing this. They've been doing it for a while. Uh, There's a a good paper, a Google AI paper, What's Your ML Test Score? A rubric for ML production systems that you can take a look. And it gives a nice kind of a layout on a traditional uh, system for software development, testing and monitoring, and one that's infused with ML. And um, This is introducing the data, that's having the data tests, the data skew tests, data monitoring, and then there's a prediction monitoring kind of system. So as far as the methodology, it's always been there. There is just the different tools that are actually coming out and becoming available. So just as I mentioned, uh, there's uh, the Facebook FB Learner that has been open sourced. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Facebook is going to continue using their thing. Uber has a Michelangelo. Yeah. Google is probably going to use Kubeflow. Maybe they're, or maybe they have something inside. We don't know. Yep. All all of these are trying to come up. Uh, for Microsoft has uh, uh, first party equals third party, so they're trying to take their what they call first party is uh, internal and become uh, the standard for uh, the industry as well. So they're taking their services and exposing them as public services. So it's definitely. Uh, the right time. You want to invest in the ML ops or for, uh, call it data apps uh, with machine learning. So choose choose your tools. Sometimes maybe you have to build out your own. I would uh, strongly advise against it. Try to see what's uh, fits best in your environment, but definitely continue. Do not have a silent approach where, as I come in, there is a data scientist that literally brought his home gaming machine that's sitting underneath <laughs> his desk. There is no source control. He's running these uh, TensorFlow models, and God forbid his PC dies, it's not even source controlled. I mean, well, we're, we're, we're talking about a huge conglomerate that I don't want to mention, but it's the, mm-hmm. this is what's happening in the enterprises right now. It's sitting on somebody's huge GPU enabled machine, or even just a beefy desktop, uh, and it's running there. You know, I've I've seen the same thing with uh, the data scientists of, of, uh, at other companies. That no source control, no nothing. Uh, the very basics of, as a software engineer that you expect are just having a repo where you m- track, you at least uh, your configurations, your code. That's missing a lot of times.
1: So I think that the message that you're really preaching is, if, if I want work to pay for my gaming machine, I need to become a data scientist. <laughs> okay, I've got it. Yes, got it. yes, you've got it. <laughs> okay, Hawaiian retreats, so, gaming trees,
0: yep.
2: <laughs> so is well, no, is no, this no. Something... Based, based on that, he he brought his own. So he, the company didn't give him the gaming machine. <laughs> so, uh, and this thing this, huge, this, like yeah. a,
1: this gets back to the whole sort of um area of organizations sort of running or people in organizations just going out and buying you know a another machine from pc world or whatever plug it into the corporate network because you know it's faster quicker easier and cheaper and really that was that was the shadow it of the of the late 90s and the shadow it of the uh, uh of of now is is sort of largely uh cloud and and you know as you say kind of data scientists with with gaming machines operating outside of ordinary kind of developer practices but it it's you know th- there will always be people operating outside the rules but it, it's it's a case of making sure that a you're aware of them and b that you give them the the sort of the tools and the systems so that they it it's it's actually more productive for them to work within the frameworks than it is for them to work outside of them. Correct. There's one other thing
0: I think at at my customers, which are not the the Googles of the world but the more, let's say, the the second-line adopters. uh, The the big tech companies have done it and now the bigger retailers, manufacturers also start jumping mm -hmm. on the machine, uh, deep learning, model things, whatever. And what I've been struggling with at some of my customers is that they don't see the need for anything like version control or model management because, well, you need a model, you build a model, you put the model in production, it's done, right? You never look at it again. Oh, God. So, yeah, I mean, they don't see it as a piece of living software, if I can call it that, that needs to mm. be tuned, maintained, uh, data sets changed, a that? model clips. Sorry?
1: But but why 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 is that? Why do they think that this is so different to anything, everything else? That like there there is nothing that gets developed apart from if it's written in COBOL, maybe. Um, that gets developed. No, not COBOL. COBOL's great. <laughs> developed once <laughs> and run for decades without any changes ever. I mean, I, the, I think that, that the just people. doesn't.
0: I think it's because it's not a developer. It's a data scientist who has his a gaming machine there, who creates something, builds an artifact, a, a piece of art, and then it's finished. And it's only in the last couple of years where because of these tooling that. I'm not sure if it's a chicken or the egg thing. Either the tooling to make the, the pipelines, CI, CD enabled, continuous integration, continuous development enabled because people have stepped away from the, oh, it's not a piece of art. It's a continuous thing, or they no longer see it as a piece of art because of the tooling exists now. I'm not sure which, which, which of either it is, but I can guarantee that at, at some very huge, big retailers, worldwide companies here, I am trying to make them set aside time to reevaluate or at least monitor their model's performance on a oh let's do it once every quarter. Oh, that's a lot. Can't we do it once every half a year? That's really a struggle today. And I'm not talking mm. about the big tech companies. I'm pretty sure that the big tech yeah. companies, the Googles, the Amazon, you're the, talking the about the Facebooks. scale enterprise basically. Yeah, the real enterprise people, the people that are yeah. using this as a tool and not as their core business yeah that's uh see I well, don't, what, you're I, descri-
1: I don't what you're
2: describing good. Jan, as uh as the ultimate utopia as nirvana to have an a collect feedback kind of a loop and rebuild and retrain and then automatically redeploy i have seen in my customer experiences I haven't seen yet those kind mm-hmm. of scenarios I think what you des- described that kind of procedure that is you once you deploy your model right. You have uh, data coming in and you have feedback that's coming in. Is this correct, not correct? Go take the feedback from it, retrain the model, and then have some sort of, once it's retrained, it does an A B test. Yep, okay. Exactly. Is the score better than this? If, yep. uh, are my evaluations better? Most of the time, they also have a human uh, loop into it. So, part of the CI CDC that we show is like there is a human that will, the final email, once it goes through, builds it. I'll say, yes, I approve this, and it will redeploy. I will push it out. We'll push it back out to a Kubernetes server, run of the microservices. Everything is hunky-dory. I personally have uh, only seen this with them, uh, Microsoft, and I'm assuming all of the other big kind of uh, players mm-hmm. that are inside of it. I haven't seen this full end-to-end utopia uh, anywhere yet. There is still, I think, most of the enterprises are scared to enable this kind of a full control where we will have the Skynet of the world. The machines will take over and we will they will destroy the world, you know. I'm but, still
0: talking but, about but, the human they, loop, right? The human interaction loop. I mean, the, the whole automated, automated, automated loop. Uh, yeah, that that's utopia. E- that's e- really even great. the human, yes. But the human yeah, loop uh, is still something that's very hard to, uh, to to get in place. Sorry, Dave, I interrupted you.
1: No, no, no. Uh, it was, I was just going to say that uh, it, it's the the, the the astounding thing for me is that, I can't even get my words out, I'm so astounded, <laughs> is that, that, that people are happy to run a subpar system that all logic and sense tells them, you know, almost the moment you deploy it, it's out of date, and they're happy to rely on having out of date, inaccurate decisions from a system they've paid to develop, rather than just continuing that sort of that feedback and training, and or feedback retraining redeployment. I just, I don't know uh, the mind. The mind just boggles. Uh, as AS four hundred are still around, you know. <laughs> so not only are as four hundred still around, but uh, I, I did read someone's CV who was talking about AIX, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of dead tech out there. <laughs>
2: But to, to your point, Dave, uh, some of the models are quite sufficient with old historical data. Like if you take a look yeah. at like healthcare, healthcare disease, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, the more data you have as always will be better, but the new fresh data, if, let's say a hospital or insurance company has for 10 years, the model accuracy is not going to change that much if you add a little bit more for, for another couple of months. This so there is, reason, is definitely yeah. scenarios where you yeah. don't always need. So we're, a lot of times you are thinking real-time, this is retailers, e-commerce, IoT, and potentially. But even, like let's say, an IoT scenarios, like manufacturing especially, the sensors, if you have a year worth of data, you only really care about the anomalies where you can actually pick up. Oh, if you have those anomalies and you properly label them, a sensor is going to report the same thing until something goes bust. So if you have a little bit more fresher data, doesn't matter. So you also have to take a look at the business use case. And I yeah. think still the majority does not require.
1: Yeah. Uh, I disagree, yeah. And the return on investment and focusing on like what, what actual benefit do you get from, from continuing to refine that model? I guess <laughs> I, I, I suppose we're, I'm talking more about the situations where you are in more of a state of continuous flux of, of trends of things waxing and waning and, uh, of, of kind of things that are, are trending more more aggressively, but yeah you're right you're right it, that's not the case for for every single domain uh,
0: yep. you're, f- you're forgetting one thing here I think you will never hopefully start your machine learning uh, journey building the perfect model that does everything. You will start with a smaller model, an edge case, a niche thing perhaps, just to figure it out how it works. And then you embellish the model by adding more sensors, by using more data, by instead of using the average sensor data over five minutes, because the uh, upload of the data is too expensive. At a certain point, you've proven that your model can work. It does It does give you return on, on the investment. So now let's do it per second, per millisecond. Even though you're still doing the same linear regression, you will have to change your hypertuning parameters probably because the data velocity has changed, you added columns, or you try to predict different things. I'm no longer predicting uh, life or death, but life invalidity or death. and that are also ways that your model will change over time, and that needs to be monitored. And where you have to look, okay, I have this new stuff now. Will this is this now better or worse than what I had before? Right?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that's I think that's fair, but I think it's also it's also. Domain specific. I think there are some. There are some domains um, where the 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 level of information you get, the accuracy you get from the models, is 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 frankly good enough.
0: I, I'm good enough. That's very. But again, I think we're side, uh, sidestepping <laughs> the subject matter just so, slightly Okay. Here. So 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 to, uh,
1: but it's an interesting conversation that I've enjoyed having. So so therefore, it's all valid. Um, but okay so to bring to bring this back to to what we were talking about is um is this something you know when we're talking about um sort of ml ops is this something that an organization needs to be of a certain scale to actually adopt this I mean could literally a a one man or one woman band uh, and their dog and or cat just kind of adopt this as a um, as a workflow, as a as a method of approaching this, or do you need to be, you know, a, a five person data science team with you know support from some data ops and and uh, you know all of the the bells and whistles to get benefits from it? You mean,
2: yeah, yeah. I think it's actually a lot easier to do it in a one man shop than mm-hmm. it is to do it in a five person shop, where you can do you're the cowboy, you do what you yeah. want. <clears throat> so if you were i think it's the devops became so popular with, uh, not only in the enterprises but in small it's pretty much the de facto like if you go and do any kind of software development rarely do you spin up uh, a project ID and you say project build you take that jar and you go and ship it there is a, some sort of a build server that's continuously running and that's producing this so I would put it this way: If you already as uh, if you need to productionize and integrate your model uh, models with your applications, web apps, phone apps, whatever the kind the of integration for real time you're looking for, MLOps is a must from the two sides to marry your software engineers and your data scientists. From that perspective, for purely just data scientist it is also just at a minimum keep a tracking server just for your as a diary i mean there is something to be said when you're a scientist you have to put on an engineering kind of a hat that is very procedural and uh you gotta be good at documentation and think of this as just your documentation i can't even remember what i did last week so for me this is amazing like my memory is getting so bad it's like a I have to go looking through my uh, outlook calendar what did i do who did i visit what is what is happening so having good notes having this kind of a tracking server is amazing now the next step would be to progress this kind of tracking and actually utilize these serving these model servers that will give you that kind of integration so at that point the next step once you get into the model serving this is when you marry your software engineers To your data scientist, this is going to be your integration, and it could be as simple as just spinning up a Python Flask code, uh, or Tornado, or whatever the HTTP REST server that you want, Uh, or it could be already going out and creating the containers. So there's more than one ways of doing it. I don't want to push a container approach. Uh, You could be as just lightweight. Now. Uh, something that i just thought of uh and this is where you guys were talking about like the differences for the which MLflow, flow cube flow some of it will also depend i think also on uh the performance remember everything that we're talking about like MLflow, is a wrapper uh, a lot of times uh, gonna be either like on the python like a flask there's gonna be serialization deserialization happening some of it you might need to go down to like a TensorFlow serving, which is going to be at a C level, you know? Uh, If you want low latency, there's different uh, serving and runtime architectures that you will start looking at. But that's one of the points that I haven't covered uh, earlier. And uh, that will depend, are you looking for microseconds or nanosecond Mm -hmm. response time? So just something to think about. If you're going down like on a Python code, Flask, you will always talk. You'll never talk nanoseconds, typically, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So your your scale is not going to be the same thing as you get closer to the bare bones CC plus plus.
1: Yeah. No cobalt Okay. <laughs> no cobalt <cable. laughs> So we we've, we've kind of meandered our way through this through this topic and I, I hope our audience has, has stuck with us through this but um I, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I, I was very quiet in the middle because I've learned to uh stay quiet when smart people are talking but if is there any other advice you'd give people um you know on this topic any other sort of things that we haven't covered
2: I would probably say just uh start with a, uh, a platform that you're comfortable with that matches your environment. Mm-hmm. So if you're already a Kubernetes user, go start with Kubeflow. You know, yep. Get something going in it. If you have a DevOps server, you start using DevOps. If you have a Jenkins, do Jenkins. If uh, you're completely tiny and you're just a Python developer, go install pip mlflow uh, for to get you started with it start looking at a bigger picture don't concentrate on just your little task at hand and this is what i think a lot of times are happening try to see how does this fit into your overall production pipeline how would you go what happens if your data changes you need to redo it or you need to make it how does the from data prep uh model build Think about if you have to update those models and you want to introduce, let's say, like a human aspect to it before you do release. Just think of it from an end-to-end. I know it does sound complex. There's a whole bunch of different projects of uh, dependencies that you have to manage, but this is what's actually going to simplify your life.
0: And if you're in this environment, you're used to complex things anyway.
1: Yes. you would certainly hope so you would certainly hope so Okay, wonderful and Docker is going to be your best friend uh, if you
2: want and uh, Docker simplifies a lot of it it gives you a capability to define the dependencies and uh, it's a pretty easy way to extend a lot of it
1: anything else you'd like to add?
2: Yeah, it was a pleasure of, uh, talking to you guys.
1: Pleasure was all ours. Wonderful. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So for, for anyone who has enjoyed this conversation and would like to uh, catch more of, of Alex, um, we'll keep a, a link in the show notes to his uh, session from the DataWorks Summit recently, uh, Introducing MLflow, an Open Source Platform for the Machine Learning Lifecycle for On-Prem or in the Cloud. Good God, that's a long title. Um <laughs> But uh, the, uh, the YouTube uh, link for that, I'm sure, will be up uh, shortly. And uh, Alex, I'm sure you provide us a, a link for the slides as well. But uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, great, to, great to chat with you again. And uh, look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Thank you, guys. Thanks, Alex. Take care.
1: Well... Again, thank you, Alex, for all of your wisdom. All of the uh, the wizard hat was full, and I was very, very happy. Um, seriously, though, great session. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, there was a bit in the middle where I went very quiet, and that's because I've learned to stay quiet when smart people are talking. <laughs> um, but uh, really great information. I think it, it is definitely something that is of the age and of the moment. I think Mm -hmm. it's sort of one of those perfect storm kind of things that uh, a lot of different areas coming together and just starting to make sense. So I think if you're in this kind of uh, productionalizing machine learning and understanding what that really means, um, this I think will be an incredibly useful
0: and interesting set of uh, of content for you. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if in like six months' time we revisit this one. Uh, after it's consolidated a yeah. little bit, because as we talked yeah. about, the bonanza going on, it's a bit of a chaotic environment there. So uh, yeah. it's uh, it's going to be a hot topic for a while, I think.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's one of those areas that's going to be um, evolving quite quite quickly. But it it it's also, to be fair, I think the foundations are definitely there. Like I don't think there's there's going to be consolidations, going to be change. I don't think we're going to see like radical radical movements. I think it's more no. into the sort of optimizing and.
0: It's going to be and pure Darwinism. Of so. Survival of the fittest. Yeah. In the case of the the things that are most useful, working the best, integrate the best, and stuff will be will will rise up from the from the molasses. Is that this other word? I don't know.
1: <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yes, it's a word. <laughs> Maybe you'd use it in that context. I don't know what you mean, though. Oh but, well. uh, it's a joy I of being non Unless English. there's
0: anything else from you. No, I've learned to stay silent when smart people are talking. That's what I do, right? Right. <laughs> In that case, that is all
1: the time we have today. (laughs) You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really helps. Um, Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and for more information about this podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the app HadoopCast tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. We're also on YouTube, so... Just search for Roaring Elephant Podcast and you'll see us pop up. We're still looking for that magical 100 subscribers. So if you can help get us there, we'd really appreciate it. That would allow us to claim the Roaring Elephant uh, name once and for all. So until then, next time, my name is Dave. And my name is Jon. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye.